Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Karen Cooper will join us to discuss citizen science. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, around the world in fields ranging from astronomy to zoology, millions of everyday people are choosing to participate in the scientific process. Well, how is this occurring? Well, in her enlightening and exciting new book, Citizen Science, How Ordinary People Are Changing the Face of Discovery, researcher and professor Karen Cooper celebrates these unbelievable contributions and challenges the definition of the traditional meaning of the word scientist. The author, Dr. Karen Cooper, is an associate professor of forestry and environmental resources at the North Carolina State University and part of the Chancellor's Faculty Excellence Program in Leadership in Public Science. She is a blogger on the Public Library of Science site and Discover and guest blogger at Scientific American and a director of partnership at SciStarter.com. Her new book again is called Citizen Science and uh, Dr. Cooper, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be joining you. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book. You talk about citizen science, but uh, for those people who are unaware, what actually is citizen science? So citizen science is a whole host of activities that involve the, in which the public gets involved in some ways in science, in, in making new scientific discoveries um, that either advance broader scientific goals or maybe even advance um, their, um, you know, problems that communities are facing. And, uh, yeah, so it's really wide-ranging, a lot of different activities from you know, watching birds and sharing those bird observations, collecting water quality samples, um, to participating in distributed computing networks, uh, or even taking vacations that involve um, helping on scientific research projects at a field site. Is this a, a relatively new thing, citizen science, or uh, has it been around, or is it just uh, becoming more used these days? Yeah, citizen science it's, has actually been around for a really long time. Well, really, in some ways, as science... Um, emerged as a profession, it emerged from sort of citizen science, from other types of amateur type science and from big collaborative efforts. Um, So one of the sort of hallmarks of citizen science is often sort of this big crowd type of effort where, where hundreds, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people are sharing what they're seeing towards that's when it's brought together you know, provides a really important discovery. And those kinds of efforts do date back even to, you know, in the 1800s, even, well, even Thomas Jefferson had had, um, had in mind some plans for that kind of citizen science. He envisioned a weather monitoring program in which people in every county um, would take weather measurements twice a day, just like he did. And that, that eventually did happen, but not until the late 18. 18- so the idea has been around, but is it just becoming more popular now with with the advent of information technology that just makes data sharing uh, just that much more simple? Or are people beginning to think about projects that really can make use of of everyday citizens? Yeah, I think citizen science is becoming more popular for a variety of reasons. 
on the scientist's end of things, there's a lot of research um, that's, that's been advancing for a long time. And then it sort of hit a roadblock where to move forward is really going to, it requires actually the engagement of the public and crowds and crowdsourcing um, get more information to continue to move forward. So that's driving part of the push. And then I think on the side of the public, there's more interest in science, um, more interest in civic engagement, and, um, and just people wanting to use their free time and their hobbies towards some kind of larger good. And so I think those two things coming together have really started to drive more citizen science. And then, yeah, the technology also, um, you know, with smartphones and, um, and just all the web capabilities and whatnot, um, I think that also helps make citizen science faster. It can help with issues and concerns about data quality, you know, when people can take a photo of something instead of just reporting seeing something. Um, so, yeah, I think all those factors have come together to really make citizen science more and more popular today. Are, are there certain fields of science that are perhaps more amenable to uh, engaging uh, the general public than others? Yeah, some fields of science have been engaged in citizen science for a long time. I, I would say all the um, the natural history kind of fields, you know, like ornithology and entomology um, and herbatology, um, ones where people have sort of uh, have a lot of lay expertise in natural history and interests in specific types of uh, species and their observations. And that's been really key to a lot of citizen science. And, and opening up the possibilities for studying species over large, you know, geographic areas and over long time frames. And then there's always been a long tradition of what's often referred to as amateur astronomy, of people um, with telescopes of their own doing a lot of observations of the night sky. And then uh, what other fields. But then in more recent, more recently, there's other fields that have benefited from citizen science um, online like uh, in biochemistry and figuring out uh, issues with protein folding and other kind of things where there's problems that algorithms can't figure out. You know, computer algorithms really aren't always the best, and actually a human mind or groups of people working together actually are needed to solve problems. So um, right now I see citizen science in, in almost every field that I look in. There's some bit of citizen science that's just more prominent um, and has more of a historical trend in some fields than others. I guess I'll add, too, that in, also in public health and, um, and issues related to pollution, that's the other area where citizen science is, has a long uh, tradition. Is it just that certain uh, fields, the observations that can be made or the, the sort of training required of, of citizens to gather data is perhaps less intensive than, than others? I think some fields, well, when it comes to data observations, there's some fields that that have research questions that are at large scales and long time frames or want, or need observations from areas that are hard to reach. And, and by that, I don't mean like out in the wilderness, but I mean like right in backyards or even in homes, um, you know, urban ecology kind of things. So I think in many cases... Um, it's not, it's not like citizen science is, is being redundant with science. It's, it allows scientists to ask questions they couldn't ask otherwise and get observations that they couldn't get otherwise. So, um, yeah, citizen science observations are often not as, um, I guess, maybe complex, right, um, as, as what a scientist might gather in the field. 
But instead of gathering information from one study site or one specific location, they can come from, from all over the world. You include a number of, of different examples in the book, areas where um, been a long-standing history of perhaps amateur science, like astronomy. Are, are there any uh, of these sort of stories that particularly compelled you? Um, yeah, I was as I started to look at citizen science in a lot of different fields, I was surprised at all the different types of people that participate in citizen science. And so, for example, I was surprised to learn that there was citizen science in prisons, and in, and really. Um, you know, not just like minimum security prisons, but like maximum security prisons and, and with prisoners who were um, isolated from other prisoners, um, you know, for various reasons. And, and that these were really transformative experiences for prisoners and that, uh, that they did work um, because of the time that they had and the time they could put into it, that they did work, um, you know, better than professionals could do in some cases. And so, so that was really exciting to see. Um, I was also, uh, I guess some of the other ones that interest, that I found interesting was seeing um, uh, corporate executives um, doing citizen science and what that meant for them, for people who work, you know, in business suits all the time and to go out in the field and get their hands dirty and muddy and learn about climate change and, and really have changes of attitudes and viewpoints on that from their experiences with scientists, um, I thought was it really also very exciting to see. You mentioned uh, in the book uh, this, this group uh, of Internet fans known as Bronies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the Bronies are a fun group, and, and that's a fandom. Um, you know, and there's a lot of fandom, like, like um, Trekkies are a well-known group, and Whovians, those like Doctor Who or Potterheads, but yeah, I was taken with the Bronies uh, because they um, they are unique in a lot of ways. They they really, for one, they they tend to be young men um, who really like the show My Little Pony, you know, which even though it was intended for for little children, especially little girls, um, but they really so in one sense, you know, they're really challenging these stereotypes about masculinity because they do they really just like the animation and the music and everything about it, and. And fandom have, you know, they are so creative with fan art and all kinds of things. And so it's just, it was great to see that there were fandom who were also taking all their energy and creativity and computer savviness and putting it towards citizen science. And so Brony, the Bronies had formed Brony at Home, which was a distributed computing group. And they were helping in distributed computing networks like Rosetta at Home, um, you know, which dealt with protein folding problems, and and which was a project that eventually led to Fold It, which is a game of um, where people could participate in these figuring out these protein folding solutions. Um, yeah, and I was surprised too. I hadn't heard of Overclockers, which are a group of hobbyists who also just who participate in these distributed computing networks. Um, and put so much time and dedication and money, really investment, in their computing systems, and uh, and so that was pretty fun just to just to realize how people could really soup up their computing machines and compete, you know, compete their computers by participating in distributed computing. And some people talk about like, oh, is that citizen science or not? You know, are they? Yes, they're helping science, but do they realize it? Are they learning? Are they, you know, are they doing it? you know, what's their motivation. But I think uh, what studies have shown is that a lot of, of folks in those networks 
um, you know, they'll have like sort of virtual shrines for um, loved ones that they've lost from the diseases that the distributed computing problems are trying to help um, find cures for. Um, so there's all kinds of engagement. It doesn't always look how we ex might expect it to. It doesn't always look, um, you know, like someone going out and catching a butterfly and tagging it <laughs> or spotting a bird. Um, it can look a lot of different ways. I mean, Flint, Michigan is another, you know, example of citizen science, of community-based type of citizen science, where communities first raised the concern and brought sci scientists into the partnership so that they could really figure out what's going wrong. So there's a, a large, uh, diverse group of people that are taking part in these various efforts. Do you think it's helped uh, the public appreciation of science? Yes. So, yeah, I think that um, when that people participating in citizen science are realizing that they have access to science, that they're helping contribute to things that they find important. You know, when bird watchers are contributing to different citizen science ventures, it's often because they have, um, and they have concerns about bird conservation and they want to help science help, you know, improve bird conservation. Um, but then also what happens is that they gain awareness and, and learn more, and they're able to do more actual bird conservation on the ground where they live or advocate for it. So, yeah, I think citizen science is helping people appreciate science, appreciate that it can be um, just a role in their daily lives. Like, some people think of citizen science often or any kind of scientific activity as something that needs to put people into the, or kids or whatever, into the STEM pipeline for careers. And that's great, too. I mean, science careers are awesome. But what's neat about citizen science is that it can really help have people have uh, science just as part of their daily life and their hobbies and, and something they have access to. You know, just like we enjoy sports, and we don't all want to be professional athletes, but we might enjoy a game of pickup basketball right, on the weekends. Like, or we might enjoy going to art museums or even taking art classes, but we might not want to be a professional artist. And so I think, you know, citizen science offers those same sort of analogous opportunities. It's like we might have strong interests in science, not enough that we want to pursue it as a career, but that we want to help engage and be part of it. And citizen science offers those opportunities. And for scientists, yeah, like I said, it opens up so many more opportunities for different research frontiers of things, questions, research questions that just couldn't be addressed without the help of the public. Um, I, I published a paper a few years ago with colleagues where we looked at what was currently known about migratory birds and climate change and looking through the published literature, you know, the scientific literature on this topic. And what we found was that about half of what was known about migratory birds and climate change came from citizen science efforts. So that we wouldn't know these things if it hadn't been for these decades of um, activities that bird watchers were doing and sharing their observations. How have you uh, used uh, citizen science in your work? Um, I have mostly worked with bird watchers, and I especially work with bluebirders. That's people who put up nest boxes in the hopes of attracting uh, bluebirds to those boxes, and and then they monitor the boxes, and you know, to make sure that they're what's successful and see what happens. And um, they sh share their data. And so I've worked a lot with th that group who share their data to Nestwatch, which is hosted by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And, um, and so I've looked at patterns, like um, geographic patterns related to um, clutch size and avian productivity, sort of reproductive productivity um, across latitudinal gradients, how, how these seasons vary you know, from north to south. More recently, I have a project um, that is called Sparrow Swap, 
where I work with bluebirders who are having problems with um, invasive house sparrows, which is a non-native species that sometimes disrupts bluebird nests or takes over their nesting sites. And uh, anyway, so we're together exploring different management options and evaluating what works best for that. And in part of that, people send in house sparrow eggs that they collect uh, to our collection at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. And, and there we're looking at um, whether those eggs could be useful as indicators of contaminants in the environment. Uh, so anyway, there's multiple goals there, but that's, that's my research directions right now. Do you uh, recruit these individuals, or, or uh, how do they find out about your project? And so, really, I guess the question is that you know you've sort of been involved in it. Uh, how, how do you have you tried to encourage other scientists to go this route if they if they want to? Yeah, well, working with bird watchers, I think, is probably some, one of the easiest thing to do in citizen science because bird watchers are, um, well, one because there's so many, so many people who love birds, um, and then also there's so many that. I mean, they sort of self-organize. So I work with groups who are tip people with who are already in uh, bluebird societies. There's a National Bluebird Society or the North American Bluebird Society. And then um, almost every state, I think, has a bluebird society. Even some counties have their own bluebird societies. <laughs> anyway, so just like there's also a lot of Audubon groups. So because bird watchers um, organize locally, uh, anyway, it makes them easy to communicate with and to... Um, you know, recruit into projects and to learn about what they're interested in studying also. And, uh, yeah, and then I, I often do talk to my scientist colleagues about citizen science and um, the kinds of things that they could do to expand their research agendas more broadly um, in new research questions that, could, uh, that they could benefit from by engaging the public in those. I think uh, the public is, through these efforts uh, overall in all the fields, has become, again, a little more aware of science. Support for science has, has grown. And, and, again, because so much of uh, science is supported by public funds, uh, uh, do you think that, uh, again, the, the support for the support of science has grown through these efforts as well? Well, it's hard to know if the support of science overall has grown through these efforts. Because um, even though citizen science has been around for a long time, it hasn't always had that name. I mean, and that name encompasses a lot of different other names and activities that people do that would fall under this sort of umbrella term of citizen science. And so it's hard to track sort of, you know, it's, it's non-trivial to track its impact and, and sort of, yeah, what, how much it's affected sort of the state of, um, of public attitudes towards science. I don't know if I could make a broad brush statement like that, but I think that is the hope, is that, um, and it certainly makes sense, that with, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people beginning to engage in citizen science projects and seeing their value, and, uh, but yeah, that that would um, increase public support for science more broadly. I'm just curious if you have some final words regarding the whole, uh, the whole issue of citizen science. I guess my final words on citizen science would be I hope that both scientists give it a chance and that um, people who have, even people who have skepticism about science, or maybe especially, um, will take a look at citizen science and, and see how it might uh, dovetail with some of their interests. I think a good way to get started in citizen science um, for, uh, for you know, someone with, with all sorts of different hobbies is to go to SciStarter.com. And that's a site with really thousands, there's over a thousand citizen science projects, and there's a project finder, and you can search by activity, by your location, um, by your interests, and really see if there's projects out there uh, 
that you'd have fun, a fun time doing. The new book is called Citizen Science, How Ordinary People Are Changing the Face of Discovery, and the author is uh, Dr. Karen Cooper. And uh, Dr. Cooper, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thanks again for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.